Welcome to episode 338 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week, Paige Hamilton of Helmet returns to the podcast. Very happy that Paige is back with us here. He was on here in 2020, and now he's on here just under the wire in 2021. One of the final episodes here, as you could definitely tell by the calendar, we are just a couple of days away from Christmas if you're listening to this when it comes out. So I hope you guys have a great Christmas, or you had a great Christmas, or if you don't celebrate Christmas, whatever you celebrate, I hope you have a great holiday season, great New Year's, all that stuff. Speaking of New Year's next week, the final week of 2021, I'm going to attempt to put out the best of 2021. Been the last week or two kind of compiling all the records that have come out, writing everything down, trying to go through it. It's funny, like, this was always, like, I was always really excited about this episode every year. And this year, even though there's been a lot of great music, I'm not as pumped about it since Jason's not here. Here, I'm calling him out, you know. He'll probably be listening to this one because I know he, he digs some Paige Hamilton as well. It was always great, you know, to sit down with Jason and talk about all that stuff from throughout the year going back and forth. This year will be a little bit different, kind of just rattling off my opinions, I guess. So we'll talk more about that next week. But in the meantime, we're here for one reason, and that's to talk to Paige Hamilton. So before we get into that, I need to let you know who sponsors this podcast, and that would be Sunset Tattoo. It's a tattoo shop located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 25 plus years of experience. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. And most importantly, they are mother approved. Jake Thompson does excellent work. You can check out photos of all his work at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa on Instagram. And the same thing on Facebook. Give him a follow. Check out all those photos. See the great work that's been done. I know a lot of musicians that have been on this podcast. A lot of touring musicians coming through Tulsa have had work done by Jake. I've personally had work done by Jake. I'm very happy with it. So you should get yourself some as well. Give him a call, set up a time to get in there, and make it happen. We've also got Hell Hot Hot Sauce, a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area that makes small batch artisan hot sauces. You can find them all at hellhothotsauce.com. If you're on the West Coast, there are a lot of stores out there, but anywhere else, get on that website, look them up. And have them ship you some bottles. You're listening to this because you love rock music, hard rock, heavy metal. And Hell Hot Hot Sauce does as well. Because they do collaborations with artists. They've got one with Florida Frank from Hatebreed. They've got one with Ghoul. They've got one now with Night Demon called Heavy Metal Heat. I really want to try some of that. I've not yet. I've tried the other two I just mentioned. Also, Techno Destructo from Gore has one that is excellent. I've had the chance to try that as well. There should be forthcoming sauces from Zetro of Exodus as well as Death Angel as well in 2022. So be on the lookout for that. Follow them on the socials and get you some of that sauce. We've also got Med Farm, a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. They're right off the highway. Can't miss them. They've got a drive through If you call, text, or email ahead, you can place your order and whip right in there, grab it, and be on your way. And the best part about MedFarm, they already got that drive through which a lot of dispensaries don't. But they're open 24 hours a day now through that drive through I know the in-store, you know, part closes, I think, at 10 or 11 p.m., but 24 hours a day, you can go through that drive through 
and get your product. If you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. They're always running other specials, so follow them on their socials. That's MedFarm, P-H-A-R-M, on Facebook. MedFarmOK on Instagram. MedFarmOK.com is the website. You can see their entire selection at Leafly.com. But most importantly, they're Cannabis with a Cause. 30% of their proceeds at all times go to build no-kill animal shelters. There's not another dispensary around here that can claim that. So, no matter where you're at in the Tulsa area, I know you've got tons of options, but make the drive over here. You can be there within probably 20 minutes of wherever you're at. So, get over there and help support a great cause, and of course, mention Thunder Underground. Finally, our longest-running sponsor, DEB Concerts, have brought in tons of great acts to this area. Bands like Saxon, Last in Line, Junkyard, L.A. Guns, Striper, Warrant, Lita Ford, Bisto Blanco. The list is very long. They've even brought Snoop Dogg and Nelly to the BOK Center last year. And guess what? They've got BOK Center concerts coming in 2022. They've also got other concerts coming, which will be announced here in the new year. And of course, every year they book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma, which was recently announced that Rocklahoma will be staying on Labor Day weekend in 2022. They made the switch in 2021 for Memorial Day, and it looks like it's now a Labor Day tradition. So, as soon as all that gets announced, I'm sure we'll have Doug back on here because he's come on here the last few years to talk about the Roadhouse stage at Oklahoma and all he's got coming. So, follow DB Concerts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and of course, we'll keep you up to date right here as well. All right, into the subject at hand. And that would be Paige Hamilton. Like I mentioned up front, he was on here on episode 298. Had a very cool conversation. Me and Jason got to talk to him there for almost an hour. And we discussed all kinds of stuff. I know we talked a lot about CBGBs. Tommy Victor of Prong, you know, Helmet and Prong did that co-headlining tour here and like three years ago. I got a chance to check that out. And we actually interviewed Tommy Victor at that show, so if you haven't heard that one, check that out. That's very cool. We also talked a lot about their album Dead to the World that came out a few years ago and all kinds of other great stuff. The album Aftertaste from the late 90s, which is probably my favorite Helmet album. But on this one, I got another near 50 minutes, 45 to 50 minutes with Paige here talking about different stuff. That's the great thing about Paige is... There's all a point to everything he's got to say, and it's all interesting to me. So, I'm sure it is to you as well if you're listening to this. We talk a lot about the brand new release that just came out a few weeks ago. First ever live release, Live and Rare, features two concerts. One from 1990 and one from the beginning of 93. So you get a glimpse into the early days of Helmet. They've also got new music coming probably within a year or so, according to what he says here in this. We also talk a bit about the Judgment Night soundtrack, Danny Boy from House of Pain, ZZ Top, and we open this thing with some college football talk. So, I'm just not even going to ramble about anything else this week. Once again, happy holidays. Let's jump into this. Paige Hamilton of Helmet.
Oklahoma. All right. That's my home home country from my or my family, my dad's side. That's right. I think yeah. you mentioned that last time. Yeah, yeah. Talked to you about a year that. ago. Yeah. I love it out there. Like where we're at in Oklahoma. I think the town was called Spring Hill. Uh that it's a little hick town. Uh where grandma and grandpa are from. Let me see. Never been there. Um, where, I wonder where it is. I just remember uh, Grandma telling stories about a Spring Hill, Oklahoma City. I guess maybe it was a. Oh no, it says Spring Hill Suites. That's not it. <laughs> Spring Hill. Uh, I remember her uh, just telling us funny stories about the first time they saw a car. Like they're what? like, what? Yeah, it's in. Uh, it's. Not far from um, Oklahoma City, it looks like. Okay. Spring Hill. The directions to it is 47 mile, uh, 42 miles away, south of uh, south of Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. you can pass through Norman to get there, looks like. Or one route you can take, yeah, on the 35. Yeah, I lived in Norman for a bit. I'm actually near Tulsa, which is northeast corner, so... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, Norman, that's, that, that's OU, right? Right. Did you watch that football game? Yeah, I was there. You were there? <laughs> yeah. Are, are you an, are you a Sooner? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I hate, I love sports. So I love college football. I hate when games are influence affected by, bad calls or non-calls and that game was that was a joke it really bummed me out i'm not a fan of either team i don't i could care less i got no horse in the race but i watched it and i was like well you flew a flag and then you picked it up first of all so that's first down oklahoma right then the fucking mugging in the end zone like like did they want Oklahoma State to win like I, I can't I mean look I'm a huge sports fan and I've watched since I was a little kid and I played football and baseball and basketball ah god that game left a bad taste in my mouth man well that was an instant conspiracy theory because the big 12 you know is pissed that Oklahoma's leaving to go to the SEC yeah that did they have the officials make bad calls who knows but I it mean was, it, it was chances. wrong I mean yeah. yeah, it was you, they had they had chances, but those were that like I said, that one play where you know was a first down, you know, and then the they still almost pulled it off and the guy got mugged in the end zone, man. That's called pass interference. That that's it's a simple call. Like I, I don't oh, it makes me so mad. Right? Yeah. There's been a couple of calls in the course of my life that didn't affect my teams that really bugged me. One was the I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. One was uh, Green Bay Packers versus Tampa Bay last year in the NFC Championship game. Right. Not pass interference, pass interference. Really? Okay. Like, I just, you know, I'm a Niner fan and an Oregon Duck fan. So I got, you know, it's not, it's not my team. But as a fan of the game, the sport, I want it to be fair. You know, like be consistent. I just, it's that game was ugh, left a really bad taste on. I was like, oh God, if I was a sooner, I'd be like 
Oh man. We Oregon had a game like that this year against Stanford. We were, we would have been undefeated going into that God awful Utah game. Um, we came back, played a great second half and their last drive, they got 60 yards on penalties, ejected our best player. And then on the last play of the game, which we stopped, they finally decided then, oh, that's a, that's pass interference. So they got another shot. It was just, I was like, and then our guy got, our receiver got mugged. That got speared, you know, speared, uh, what do you call it now? Targeting. All oh, right. And, uh, they threw the flag and then they're like, nah, it was okay. It wasn't any, you know, well, they called it on us. I think twice, you know, twice on that drive, ejected our best play. I was, ugh. Just makes me so mad, man. It really makes me mad. Just call the game fair, man. That's yeah. I want robo refs. I, don't I know. know. You know? Yeah. It seems like the last few years in both college and the NFL, there's been a lot of that more than it seemed in previous years, you know, at least really, really yeah. controversial. Yeah. That's, I hadn't thought about that. Then leaving for the SEC and that the, and the, and the, the conference being like, screw you, you know, interesting. Then, then insult to in, injury Riley leaves. I mean, you know, that's my uh, grandfather, uh, my mom's side was a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. And he had his first heart attack watching Oklahoma, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> interesting because dad's side of the family are Okies and mom's mom's was born in Omaha. So, oh, okay, uh, yeah. So it's kind of funny, you know, interesting, interesting. Those rivalries. My father's a, we're all ducks because my dad went to college there. My uncles, my siblings, my cousins, we all went there. So which is a curse, you know, to be a duck fan. I mean, we've never won a championship. <laughs> it right. just sucks. It's like, fuck. God, the best team we ever had, Marcus Mariota. I'm like, we dominate Florida State. We're going to fucking kill Ohio State. Just didn't show up. Like, his right. Elliott ran for like 220 yards or something. It's like, fuck. <laughs> Super frustrating, man. Really, it's funny. I wish I'd never liked sports. You know, it would be much easier. Yeah. It would save a lot of time too. <laughs> a lot of time, yeah. I mean, fortunately, my basketball team are is Jekyll and Hyde, the Trailblazers. So I haven't really been watching much. Thinking of watching, I've had a really busy day. I'm doing interview, guitar lesson, interview, guitar lesson, just back and forth all day. And I'm just I'm beat. So I'm thinking, fuck it, I'm just gonna chill tonight. Watch the Blazers. You know, hopefully they won't suck shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe get a get a one of my geriatric workouts in, you know, pump some rubber tube or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Tulsa's cool, man. Do you know Danny at all from, uh, um, Danny boy from, um, house of pain. He lives there. Yeah. I've, I've met him before, but I don't really know him. Yeah. Good yeah. cat man. really good cat. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's level. He's yeah. level. I think, I think, uh, you know, I think he's from when he said uh, Everlast. Uh, you know, Eric is he's a little bit of a pain in the ass. You know, <laughs> and I I saw that with him where he'd be really really nice and engaging, and then when he when he was down low, and then when he was up high, he was a jerk, and he was like, I'm like, is, are they doing well right now, or like, or bad? Because he'll be nice if they're not doing that great. <laughs> I shouldn't say well, that. I wasn't going to lead off with this, but since you brought it up, I was kind of curious on what your memories are of recording just another victim. It was fun, man. It was fun. We, those guys came to New York and um, I don't know if they were on tour or came out for it or whatever, but we went to our little studio with uh, Wharton tears down the basement on uh, 
uh, right off First Avenue there in 21st. Um, and uh, we, I liked what they did. You know, I liked this. I heard a song or two from them. I thought it was cool. I love it. Uh, you know, the, the vocals and I thought it was fun. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the squeaky toy noise stuff. The woo, woo, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't see the point, but because it's not musical, it's a, it's an, either an aesthetic thing or a staple of the genre. I don't know. But uh, uh, yeah, we got in the basement, we got set up, got sounds. It was um, uh, John Stanier, myself, Henry Bogdan, our original bass player and drummer. And then Rob Echeverria was in the band at the time. Um, and we set up and everybody just stood around in a circle and looked at me and they were like, all right, what are we going to do? And I was just like, we're going to write a song together. Right. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's still staring at me. So I was like, well, I got this really badass riff that I've been saving for a helmet song. It goes like this. And uh, Stanier immediately came up with a cool groove. And then, um, and then the chorus is like a double time version of the riff, you know, and I came up with those hits, just those, you know, just kind of a climb thing. So and a breakdown, it came about pretty quick, you know, um, once we got our thing done, that was it. We were done. And then they took it and we were in California on tour and I went in for a day talked to Eric about what uh, he, he asked me, he said, what are you thinking lyrically? And I was like, I got, I said, I'm obsessed with this notion of people uh, feeling like victims, like people like, you know, feeling uh, this sort of self-absorbed victim. He said, that works great with what I have. So I wrote my lyrics there in the studio and did the vocal and, you know, I don't know how long it took me, not very long. And um, it was really interesting though, because our situation is as a rock band is, self you know i'm the producer of helmet and it's it's uh you know and i trust my bandmates because they're all great players and everything and um and then their situation is different they're like doing tracks i think lee uh lethal did a lot of the tracks and stuff and they uh but they had like a they had the monitors and then in the studios back then like the the um, ssl consoles had a computer screen a little green screen but they had a tv up in the middle and they had porno on the tv and, um, and then they had a giant bag of weed. And I was like, I can't get stoned and be creative. I just, I, you know, or like be productive, I should say. I could be creative, but it would probably be like, you know, hanging from the ceiling. Uh, so it's funny. They were like, oh, yeah, we, this is, you know, this is our vibe. You know, I'm like, well, like, yeah, see, I'd see naked girls. And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> you know, watching that and not thinking about my parts. So that was kind of funny, you know. Um, we got along great, really good guys. I, I've lost touch with um, Eric completely. Danny, I'm still in touch with, you know, like I saw him in Tulsa, would text him. I'm going to try to see him next time we're there because he's got that uh, Outsiders um, thing, you know, and he invited me to come and check it out or whatever. It's a museum, right? Yeah, it's the house. Like he converted the house into a museum, basically. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I want to do that. And, uh, um, and Lee, I saw a bunch cause he was with Limp Bizkit, um, back, you know, back, this is clear back in 97, of course, but, um, cause they opened up for, um, you know, it was Corn, Helmet and Limp Bizkit. They were the opening band. So, uh, another really good guy, very funny. Um, so yeah, it was fun. It was fun. The track turned out cool. You know, it, it was, uh, they approached us. I think we were one of the first bands that got approached. And so it was still sort of, a 
we didn't know exactly how it was going to work whatever so we just did it our what we thought would be cool i guess and and it turned out and then they liked it so they used it as the lead off track for the soundtrack you know so that's cool yeah so, did they yeah. what did they approach you and say you're going to be working with house of pain or i mean did they make those decisions like the producers of the soundtrack i think so if i remember correctly i believe uh believe that's how it went they said well you know they said would you be I'm going to turn this fan off. Uh, would you be into uh, working with House of Pain? And uh, so I checked out the music and I was like, yeah, this is cool. I'd like that. That'd be fun. I don't know. I also remember doing an interview with Rolling Stone and the guy was like, asked me about, God, this rock and rap thing could be really big. And I was like, nah, this is a one-time fucking, it'll never, it'll never, <laughs> it's like, that's why I'm not an A&R guy. <laughs> it became a whole genre, you know? Um, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That was, it was cool. It was really, really fun. We still do our half of the song, you know, as an encore sometimes. So it's yeah. fun. We did it. We did it together twice. Uh, Danny and Eric came out in LA. We did a benefit, an AIDS benefit called, I think it was called uh, board board aid. It was a snowboarding AIDS benefit thing with uh Halford sang with Anthrax and we headlined and they played right before us. I can't remember who else was on it, but Danny and um, Eric, I think they were a little, a little tipsy uh, kind of got up and we made a, you know, we fucking probably made a big mess. We had never rehearsed it or whatever. We just did the slow part, just kind of like, you know, I played the song you know, and, <laughs> and then we did it again in Sapporo helmet opened for house of pain in Sapporo, Japan. Um, and, um, we did it. I think if I remember correctly, we also did it on the corn tour because Fred Durst kept, um, asking me if he could do the song with us. And, uh, so we did, I think we did it in like Portland, Maine. I was like, uh, I don't know, man. Like it's, I don't know how we don't, we never, rehearsed it we'll see and then we did it it was fine i think you know it's funny that's cool yeah well i guess jumping forward to today you got live and rare just came out and yeah it's kind cool. of a great look into the the early days of helmet like what was your favorite part of putting this package together um realizing how much better i am now than i was then <laughs> <laughs> There was a real, you know, energy that I love about it. Uh, and I hear things that I, some habits that I, you know, had early on that I've broken and, and I've obviously expanded my guitar and vocal and lyrical vocabulary, but there's something about the explosiveness of the, the that first year, first year or two of the band. That's really cool. Um, so it was fun to kind of go revisit that stuff. It was a little tricky. Toshi Kasai, who is a guy we work with a lot, engineers a bunch of our stuff and mixes. Um, he kind of did some studio magic. I think reamped some of the, the reamped the guitars because it was a it was a you know it was a two inch sixteen track tape machine the CBGBs had, um, which. You know, I don't know what the mic placement was, or I didn't pay attention to any of that back then at all, you know, and yeah, I do now, but um, so I, I don't know, 
you know, the, the guitars were, were kind of, uh, I don't know, probably a little dirty, you know, a little messy. So Toshi kind of, he re I think he reamped them and cleaned them up a bit. Um, but I mean, there's no repair work done because you can't, you know, it's recorded to tape. It's not like you can edit, you know, you know, even though it's mixed in Pro Tools now. Um, so it's a very, very accurate document of where the band was in 1990 in that fall of 1990. Uh, and I love certain things about it. I love that, you know, I had kind of found my way uh, as a singer, like I'd learned a certain part of my singing was very good. You know, my, my hardcore kind of voice was good. My singing, singing was still kind of questionable. I don't think I had, had a, you know, beat on it yet, could, how to sing melodically over a band that loud, you know, was more than anything because you play to the volume of your drummer and our drummer was, you know, using a 22 inch earth ride for his crash cymbals, you know, fucking brutal, like so loud. So singing over that was about, it's probably how I developed that kind of, you know, percussive rhythmic, you know, style, you know, staccato style, I guess, just to sort of cut through the, the, the din, <laughs> you know, it's funny shit though. It's cool. It was really fun putting it together. It took a, took a while. Um, the photographer, I remembered from our, you know, early days, he was a huge fan and he put us on the cover of Flipside magazine. His name's Kirk, K-R-K. Uh, and I, and I think he's in Orange County or Long Beach or something like that. And, um, he didn't have any real social media presence and my manager, my manager's assistant at the time, Brian tracked him down. And, um, and we, <laughs> it was the pictures I picked and wanted, you know, he like, once he did the prints, I was like, what about those ones that I wanted there? I didn't ask for these. There was some, and he just, I was like, never mind, whatever. This is fine. We'll take, we'll take what you got, you know, paid him. And that was that. <laughs> so it's fun. It's kind of cool to see. Um, there are some shots from CBs, but shots from other clubs. I, I have no recollection of playing or where they were, or, you know, uh, whatever, just, I knew it was that era of the band. So that big day out show was for all intents and purposes, already kind of the beginning of the end with Peter, uh, I had kind of grown weary. Um, you know, there's it's a lot of stuff, you know, I don't want to get into. Um, and because he, as far as I know, he watches helmet stuff like a hawk and see, see if I'm going to violate the, what's the, the, the gag or, you know, you can't say anything or whatever. Like, I don't know. So, um, like, you know what I mean? What's, what's it called? A non-disclosure? No, a, uh, a gag or no. Uh, gag or what, well, once you make a settlement with someone, you know, find, find a legal settlement, you can't, you can't say anything, you know, it's like, I look, I love the guy. We were, we were great friends for quite a while and, but it just didn't work out musically at that point. At that point, I was just ready to, to, you know, I was ready to kind of move on and expand what we were doing and, you know, do more, you know, a different thing. So, uh, that big day out concert was, uh, was fun as hell. Um, but, uh, I was probably hung over. <laughs> I sound, I sound like I'm hungover. the hardcore stuff. I could do well. Um, 
So yeah, it was fun. It was a fun day. It was the first time we played there. So even though uh, Betty was, you know, Betty wasn't out because Peter didn't play on Betty. So it was the end of the meantime tour, basically, I think. I think it would have been January. The date's on there on the album. I forget exactly. I'm pretty sure it was January of that year. So it would have been 93 and we'd been, we'd had a hell of a run, you know, I mean, we're 18 months of nonstop touring the world, you know, when that album came, you know, came out. I actually flew from New York to Florida. Uh, the band took off before me and went down there. So I flew the day after I finished mixing with Andy Wallace. I flew down and met him and we started the tour. And I think it was Gainesville, a hardback or something like that with L7 opening up. I think, I don't know. It's I know that happened. I'm just not sure of the timeline. <laughs> 30 years ago is a long time. Right. <laughs> well, just listening to those two shows back to back, you hear you hear a big difference in just those three years of how tight the band is and everything. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at that now, where the band's at now, obviously there's some different players and all that. But like, what do you think the biggest change is of Helmet now in 20? 21 2022 compared to almost 30 years ago um i feel like i feel like we've never lost the um the energy the the, the honesty an interview i did before you the guy mentioned that just how he thinks why people still are drawn to the music is that it's it's uh, it's never disin- never been disingenuous. It's not about a style. It's not about an attitude. It's not about uh, trying to do something that we think people will like. It's about doing something that we like. And you know, and I don't live in a cave or whatever. I listen to music like everyone else. So it stands to reason that if I write something that I think is good, that other people will like it not everyone it's not for everyone some people hate us you know but some people hate us because you know i've heard because my teeth were straight or because my hair was short or one guy said something about me being handsome this is years ago and i'm like (laughs) i'm like really that has a lot to do with listening to the fucking music you know um so that shit cracks me up but hey it's the uh, same reason people don't like tom brady i think so (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah he's got a hot wife and he's a you know bazillionaire and whatever um i don't hate the guy i don't don't think he's the greatest quarterback of all time because i'm a niner fan and that's joe montana he never threw an interception in in four super bowls so um and he didn't have people hit quarterbacks back then so they don't hit him now yeah um but he's great he's great but um yeah i mean i think um like I, I kind of talked about this earlier, the, when I did strap it on and I started and, and I was around bands in New York and playing shows, clubs with CBs and Lismar lounge and the pyramid club. And we, our first gig ever was at Louderbacks in Brooklyn. You know, you're hearing a lot of bands, you're hearing a lot of music and there's this whole, there's this whole to me kind of, uh, felt it was kind of a self-absorbed pretentious, like songwriter. You're a songwriter, singer songwriter. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, man. I'm, and and I, I said this to David Bowie, I said, I'm not really a guitar player. I'm more of a shit sculptor. And he's like, oh, God. You know, and I was like, no, I, I don't play classic rock. I mean, I can some stuff and I've learned songs and I love classic rock and whatever. But it, but I always wanted to have my own thing, my own sound, my own guitar, chordal, you know, vocabulary and solo vocabulary and whatever. And um, that's never gone away. 
you know, but, but that said, you, if you, you can't stand still and make strap it on 10 times, you know, so you, you, you know, new rhythmic ideas pop up and I've, ex I've gradually expanded the, the, the harmonic vocabulary, you know, from the first like FBLA one chord, which was a, you know, FCF with an open G, B and E is an F is an F major seven sharp 11 chord with no third. That's a great sound with a lot of distortion. It's a really cool sound. Well, I started experimenting with different chords and hearing different things. And so the harm, and then with that came more melodic uh, possibilities, you know, so I started hearing some of this uh, and then, you know, I tuned uh, once I was smart enough to realize, you know, I was a baritone in choir. I, I guess I'm a baritone. I should probably tune differently. And I can, it, for me, this made logical sense. I tuned down a whole step from back and back then and so my low range is in the meat of that tuning. And then I have, I've expanded my, my, my vocal range so I can do more, a lot more, you know, plus I've done 3,500 shows over 30 years or something like that. So I'm a better singer and I have a lot more confidence now, you know, than um, I did back then. But um, so that kind of is part, you know, part of it. And, I'm, and I've, I've been more open over the last 10 years to, to working with other people Whereas early on, I was pretty, we collaborated as a four piece early on, but I was writing separately and bringing songs in. And as, as, as those two kind of uh, approaches collided, my songs that I, songs I was writing were better than what we were jamming. So I kind of took over as the, you know, as the writer and arranger and songwriter, whatever. And, um, and I was kind of, a, I think I might've been, accused of being a control freak, which might've been a little true, but I, I just knew nobody else was going to understand what I was trying to do, you know? And, and that's, you know, now people have the benefit of, you know, hearing the band since 1989, 1990, 91, when we were got, you know, better known and stuff. And so they're familiar with what we do, you know? And, and, and um, so, but, you know, I, I'm more flexible. I like, I, you know, I welcome input. You know, my drummer, Kyle at Stevenson is amazing. Like, and if I have a drum part in mind and he comes in and he, he blows it out of the water, I'm like, that's way better than what I had in mind. I'm not going to say, no, my ego is too big to, to fucking shoot down a great part. You know, I never would do that, you know. Um, so we and we were still feeling our way too. you know, when I came in with repetition, that was the first song and drop tuning. I heard a, I had a, I heard it walking home one night for up Avenue A. I lived in Stuyvesant town. I rented a room from a friend of mine and um, I picked up the guitar and it was off the guitar. It was like, I had to go down to this note uh, that, you know, uh, am I muted? It shouldn't be. Oh yeah. My tuner's off. So it went down to that note, which is D and, uh, and so I had to retune the guitar to get that note. And uh, so I was like, oh, my God, it opened all this stuff up. And, and I and I started writing what I was hearing, you know, and that's, I think, when the music got, you know, fairly uh, focused and, and distinctive. Like it was, you could recognize it as something that didn't sound like us trying to be Husker Du or, you know, whatever influences we had, Wire. Um, you know, it was a huge influence on me and, and uh, you know, there are many, I mean, Led Zeppelin, obviously ACDC, 
Sabbath. But um, so you, when you find your own thing, then it's pretty exciting. It's like, yeah, I can still be inspired by and excited by the music I grew up on, but I can do my own thing, you know. So that's still the vibe, you know. Yeah. Well, kind of compounding on what you said a minute ago about your vocals, like when you listen to like Dead of the World, I mean, your your voice is in the studio way more melodic now than it was obviously back in the 90s. Yeah. Like, so that was a conscious effort to expand that way? No, it just started, you know, hearing stuff different differently. You know, I, I, uh, I mean, I always sang there's songs like, um, you know, on Strap It On, uh, uh, the, the three song. Embrace the motivation goes. Uh, <laughs> repetition, root, bad mood, Sinatra. Uh, oh my God, I can't believe I have to look up my own songs. <laughs> remember, remember fucking titles. I, I've got a million songs in my head. I've been doing this all day. So, um, Helmet, where are you? Strap it on. Uh, uh, size matters, strap it on. Make Room, the song Make Room is, is a melodic song, essentially. Um, and so is Distracted. Like, there's a heavy vocal in Distracted, but, um, you know, those two songs. And then, obviously, with Meantime, Unsung and Borrowed and Who Feels Dad, I was singing. But they were, they were very um, uh, stripped-down melodies, you know, like, like, like two- and three-note little you know, parts, you know, unsung is like a pentatonic thing. It's, you know, that, 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 you know, that, 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 just this pentatonic vibe, Aussie, very Aussie-esque. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and as I got, as I, as you start kind of, I, I don't know what causes it, if it's just like practicing guitar and listening to music and, you know, getting better and moving forward, you hear different melodies, you know? So, I mean, when I heard, uh, I really like that song "Look Alive" from uh, "Dead to the World." It came. I have my my phone on random in my car, and it came on the other day, uh, yesterday I think, and I listened, and I was like, "That's it's you know nice." Like I wouldn't have written something like that, you know. You know, it's very disciplined in a weird way. Like I would have felt like, "Yeah, it's too pretty," you know. When I was twenty eight, it's like too pretty, you know. And like now I'm like it's pretty but ugly the lyrics are ugly and the the noise the guitars are really noisy and you know thick and dense and i like that you know that kind of juxtaposition i love bands like my bloody valentine and um you know jesus and mary chain that kind of stuff that's very noisy but melodic you know so that uh i think that stuff eventually kind of creeps into your writing probably you know yeah, one of my favorite bands is Typo Negative, and I always loved how it sounds. It can sound beautiful, but it also sounds extremely dark at the same exact time somehow. Ominous, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, jumping back to Live and Rare for a second, is there is there other sh- like complete or partly complete shows in your archive, or are these just the ones yeah, you're able to there's, pull out? There's a, there's a lot of them. I just don't know. Uh, how to you know I, I i've i think we've dumped a lot of it over to digital um i have the drives somewhere um the on the hell on the rollins tour 
when we did that co-headline tour with Henry Rollins band, we, we, I think we recorded all the shows on, on um, like ADAT or DA88. No, not ADAT. Uh, there's DA88 was Tascam and there was another company. Was it ADAT that did? Uh, they're like, they look like DV, like, uh, you know, movies like uh, VHS movies. I think it's ADAT. I can't remember, but I think we dumped all that stuff. So that, you know, one day, I don't know if I have the energy. So maybe when I'm dead, somebody will be excited to go through it all and, and put an album together. Um, I'm, we're, I'm kind of working on a couple of things right now myself. So, um, you know, and one, the next thing will be to, to do a helmet album that, you know, somewhere after the tours. So like this probably be in the summer, I think, uh, assuming we can finally go out on tour you know right <laughs> uh, i hope well, as far as that goes with heading to europe do you have any i don't know what the right word is any trepidation or anxiety I, I, about I going I overseas <laughs> yeah i don't at this point i've said i've taken several trips i was in boise uh two weeks ago producing an album for a band and i was in texas seeing my brother for uh thanksgiving and uh i was in new york this summer for my godson's birthday i was in oregon flew, you know, I flew uh, for my one nephew's graduation. I flew to, I'm flying to New York for Christmas and New Year's. Um, you know, they're pretty good on the planes. Like, you know, I've got masks are required and, you know, it's, they're, they're cleaning stuff. I, I feel okay. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I, you know, I've been pretty vigilant about, you know, using hand sanitizer every time I get in my car, even if I just go down the elevator in my building or whatever. And, and you know, hopefully <laughs> I'm vaccinated, you know, hopefully nothing will happen. Um, I really, really, really want to play bad. I don't want people to be sick. You know, I obviously, I mean, the ministry thing fell apart because um, of the Delta variant and now the Omicron thing you know so i mean it's not set in stone that we're going i mean i hope we go you know i miss it that's what we just rehearsed for the system of a down um corn shows here and then they got postponed because search got covid um so yeah we'll see being billed as covers and the hits like are the covers specifically like the ones that were on the move on vinyl package or is this like going to be like a rotating cast of covers that kind of thing or yeah the goal is to learn those four songs (laughs) uh i wanted to learn the gang of four cover that we did for that uh tribute to gang of four before uh you know we did it before andy died and he loved it and he asked for the tracks and everything and and that made me really happy and obviously we were all caught off guard that he passed away but um there's been a little whinging from my bandmates. Uh, you know, I feel guilt. I mean, as a bandmate, you always have guilt that you're giving them too much work or whatever, you know, but the only way to keep stuff fresh and moving forward is to keep learning new material. Right. And, and coming up with different ideas for touring, we can't go out and do meantime and Betty, you know, every fucking tour from beginning to end, you know, when we have, they know 90 songs at least probably, so we keep it rotated, but I just thought this would be a cool change of pace because over the years we've done so many covers from the, you know, music for our mother ocean when we did, I think that was the Bjork cover 
we did a, a you know, that metal allergy thing, metal allergy, whatever, uh, Lord of this world. Then we did the jerky boys. Right. Uh, those are both Sabbath covers. We did the Led Zeppelin cover for the, that encomium uh, tribute. We did Beatles cover on seeing eye dog. I think it was and an Elvis Costello cover on um, dead to the world. I want to do both those. Um, I like, we probably have about 10 to 12 cover songs and the guys that played most of them, just these four new ones are going to be, we've played, I'm only sleeping. Um, you know, the, the Beatles song, the second Beatles cover we've done. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to do, I haven't worked out the set list yet in my mind you know, how to do it. There's the Bowie song's pretty tricky. The wire song is tricky because of the repetitiveness of it and how many measures and where it changes and how to build and kind of, they just, they build and ebb and flow like a flock of birds, you know, and um, that's not easy to do. We pulled it off for the recording, but we played along with the original and, you know, that was how we kind of got the form. So, we're going to have to learn it. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm probably in for some grief, but you know, that's, that's the gig. Right. <laughs> well, as far as you mentioned working on a, a new album next year, next summer, maybe like, have you written stuff for it or is that when you would actually start the writing process? I would start writing. Um, I have some scraps. That's about all. Um, and uh, I'm writing a piece for this uh, high school in Memphis called the Christian Brothers. It's their 150th anniversary. It's the oldest high school orchestra in the country. Oh, wow. Um, so I have to finish that um, by, I have some time, by 2023, I have a year. But, uh, uh, and I, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I've kind of started to, you know, organize my shit. Uh, I'm doing a session. I'm doing a session next week for a, a, a Austrian um, series, this TV series. Um, it's a series on TV. It's like a HBO kind of thing, like a six-part thing. Um, and that's not writing. That's just hired gun. But they're writing the music around my guitar, um, and none of it sounds like guitar. <laughs> it sounds. He's like, you were texting me today. He's like, that this sounds like church bells. I never knew you were religious. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, come up with cool shit, you know. So it's it's. Uh, but yeah, the helmet stuff. I think realistically, once I get back from New Year's Eve from in New York, I'm gonna uh, sit down, sit down, buckle, buckle down. So I'll do like my days where I I try to divide it into like you know, the orchestral writing thing, you know, this, this Christian brothers piece, which is mostly brass and woodwinds <clears throat> and percussion. And then the helmet stuff. Cause you get, you know, if you're just beating the pavement on one thing, you know, all, all day, every day, I think you can get stale, you know, for me anyway, I mean, I, I first thing I do every day is play jazz guitar. So <clears throat> that keeps me excited and happy. You know, when I produce bands, I have a whole routine. I have, coffee in my hotel room and um and i play jazz for an hour hour and a half and then i then i could go listen to a, a rock band for 12 hours yeah. <laughs> if i didn't do that i might you know hang myself so well speaking of rock bands final question for you if i remember right you're a zz top fan 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Like as we all should be like how big of a factor or influence was dusty hill do you think on just like rock music in general blues rock in the 70s and 80s you can't even um there's no way to measure it um people that know their hits um they don't know like real grand mud or you know they don't uh you know trace sombres or whatever they know the hits right and they don't know what they what zz came out of like how they became this this band or like oh it's like blues you know it's like yeah, it's not blues and you can't play their music you know believe me we tried covering lagrange a million years ago the original helmet lineup and i was like god damn it man it's not hard to learn the notes you know what i mean you can learn the notes, you know, do, dun, 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 you know, offbeat A and moves to C, I think. Um, but the, I mean, Frank's drum fills, like <sighs> Dusty's bass tone, not to, you know, to have two great singers in a band with such distinctive voices, the soulful, powerful voice and the bluesy, like moody, voice you know and um, yeah. i got to know billy a little bit um i never met dusty we played a festival as easy in uh switzerland a million years ago and i had just bought a guitar in a music shop that had been there for uh, since 1975 it was brand new in 1975 they had a black one and a sunburst music um music man stingray two still plastic on the pit guard and it had been sitting there so long there was little melt marks by the neck where it was hanging in the window so i bought it and i took and i billy came over to me in the middle of the set he's like he like looks over his sunglasses and he's like he didn't know my name yet he's like helmet helmet dude like, yeah that's me sir it's like god it's great having a fellow guitarist on the side of the stage it really makes me want to play great you know and i'm like yeah yes mr gibbons you know <laughs> So fucking they shredded. They sounded incredible. And uh, he invited me to the dressing room to hang and talk guitars afterwards. And I said, I got this guitar. Would you sign it? And he's like, yeah. And so he said, you want me to sign it or really fuck it up? And I said, go to town. So it's all this pinstriping, Billy ZZ, four page and really cool. But uh, I never got to meet Dusty. You know, I saw the documentary and it was really sad because, uh, you know, obviously he had, you know, passed. uh he was sad about their manager passing away ham uh, right. dust, you know, in the, in the documentary. And then knowing that he's gone, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there's two bands that uh, layman people that are not musicians, but they might like play in a band or mostly singers, you know, how, you know, they say like, how do you know the singers at the door that can't find the key and don't know when to come in? <laughs> like so a lot of singers just don't get that you have to be a fucking musician just because you don't play an instrument. Like time, you know, is, is imperative. Thelonious, rule one, Thelonious Monk. Like it so says, just because you're not a drummer doesn't mean that you uh, don't have to keep time. And that stands for singers too. So I've had a couple of singers say to me like, your favorite band's ACDC? And I'm like, yeah. Like, really? Like, highway to hell? I'm like, yep. Yeah. like, I don't get it. And I'm sorry, ACDC and ZZ Top, that's easy. 
Have you ever once heard a cover of either of those bands that doesn't isn't embarrassing? That doesn't make you cringe? I had I, when I first moved here after my divorce, I had no no money, and I was getting Bob Kulik, who is you know the late sweet Bob Kulik, Bruce Kulik's brother, was producing these tribute albums. He said, thousand bucks, sing and play Kiss, no problems. Thousand bucks, sing and play Metallica, no problem. Thousand bucks, sing and play ACDC. Uh, yeah, man. Mm, I guess I'll play, but I'm not going to try to sing Bond. It was uh, Rock and Roll Damnation. Okay. And I've heard it since. And I just, I just like, so he paid me half because I only did one part, the guitar. <laughs> and I was like, that was a mistake. Trying to cover ZZ Top, mistake. You just can't, you know, they're just, there's something, there's, it's an, it's other level shit. You know, it's just other level shit. I, you know, I, I don't know. Something about those bands that just, for me, just were earth shattering. I was used to, I, I don't smoke pot anymore. I mean, twice a year with my bandmates. But when I was in high school, we had a Fandango, Tush, you know, we'd get stoned. We were 17, I guess. My friend Kent McGrew's house, and we'd crank the shit out of ZZ. And we knew, I mean, you know, that was set, that was fairly early on, you know, late seventies and they were staples of our, you know, of our teenage years. So, and it stuck and it stood the test of the time, you know, yeah. in a huge, in a huge way. I mean, you know, there's just no, there's just no substitute for, you know, for him. I love Billy. He's the nicest cat. I got to go to his house once I did a radio show and he had Pap's uh, blue ribbons, and so we were drinking beer. And he was he was making fun of the guy that was on. That it was like this host guy. And he was talking about American Idol or The Voice or something talent or some shit show. And we were Billy and I were like, I don't know what the fuck that is, whatever. And uh, you know, and the guy had no idea who I was, none. And, and it was really hilarious because Billy was just kind of taking the piss. <laughs> well, he said, Hey, you want to get some? you know, go, go out. It was me and my dear friend, Trina Coletti. Um, she's friends with Billy. And so we, we stopped by his house and he was a little bit tipsy and his wife was uh, Gilligan was mad. So he said, he came out and he goes, I'll meet you guys there. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm in a little hot water. So we went over to Catville and I thought, Oh, we're not going to see him. It's cool. But he fucking showed up. You know, he was there. And it's like, it was great, man. Just, he's just a great dude, man. Just a really great dude. I'm sure I would have liked, Dusty and Frank, you know, I know Frank's done a little, you know, damage to himself with the with the drugs or whatever, but still plays like a fucking, you know, freight train. I mean, it's like it's just they're amazing, man. Fucking amazing. They when I when I had met them in or him in Europe, Billy um, sent me a a couple of faxes like he got where we were going to be on tour, my hotels. So I gave him and I show up and there's a fax from Billy F. Gibbons. He sent me the cover of the, the, um, in Europe, they'll have topless girls on magazines, right. In Germany and stuff. So there was a supermodel on the cover of like something, it's like people magazine, but the German version This super beautiful supermodel. And she's like, I think she's squeezing her boobs or something topless like this. And that's the cover. And then it says from Billy F. Gibbons, Paige Hamilton, and uh, he sent me this poem. I have, I, I, I have it somewhere. I, it would take me a while to find it. Uh, but I think I would say Edward Blackshines. It's and then a cure for 
God, it was cool. Next thing I know, get back to my place in New York and every ZZ Top album shows up on CD because I had all vinyl, right? And this is the era of CDs. Send me every fucking ZZ Top album. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just the best. Just the coolest, coolest cats, man. They're just so, so badass. You know, I'm so glad we got to play with them. I got to stand on the side of the stage and watch them rock fucking rock our balls off. It was just amazing. <laughs> They're just amazing. Yeah, I think everybody should have to watch that documentary because it does a great job of delving into the 70s stuff that a lot of people don't know about, like you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're crazy fuckers, man. Let's take a Texas Longhorn and fucking you know vulture on tour like you know <laughs> uh they're amazing man they're really really great i'm gonna yeah i'm sad i was very sad that day man and still still you know it's really a bummer yeah absolutely all right man well i appreciate you taking the time with me today i'm glad My to have pleasure. you back on great. once again yeah. great to meet you i'll see you when we're in tulsa hey absolutely yeah come and come and track me down or email or whatever and, and then uh you know, say hey. All right, we'll do. I appreciate it. There you go, Paige Hamilton of Helmet. A huge thank you to Tim from Adam Splitter PR for helping set that one up. And of course, a massive thank you to Paige Hamilton for taking some time out there to talk to me about all kinds of different stuff that he's got going on. Had a wonderful chat there with him on Zoom just a couple weeks ago. If you listen to the podcast here, the last several episodes, most of the interviews have been recorded a month, two months before we get them released. I keep saying we. I've gotten so used over the years to saying we. I need to start learning to say I, I guess, since it's just me nowadays. However, what I'm trying to say is that very glad to get this episode with Paige Hamilton out, talking about the new release Live and Rare. If you haven't heard it, check it out. And of course, if you haven't heard more recent helmet like Dead to the World, check that out as well. And if you have not heard episode 298, the first time Paige was on here, check that out. It is very cool. Like I mentioned up front, Tommy Victor from Prong has been on here. If this is your first time listening, you can dig back through and check that out. We've also had on, think of some of that other 90s metal stuff like Corrosion and Conformity who still puts out great music to this day. We've had both Mike Dean and Reed Mullen rest in peace on this podcast before. Kenny Hickey of Typo Negative has been on here. We've had Kirk Winstein of Crowbar and Down on here a couple times. Jimmy Bauer of Down and I Hate God and Superjoint has been on here. We've also had on guys from several former members of Megadeth. We've had on Rock and Roll Hall of Famers like Gene Simmons of Kiss, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, and many other great acts. Like one of those acts being the Dead Daisies. And I'm very sure you'll hear something about that album on the best of 2021. Because if you have not heard the Dead Daisies album, you're doing your ears a disservice because it's one of the best albums in the year. I feel like there's one more. Yeah, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. But yeah, the list is very long and very fruitful. 337 previous episodes to this one you can check out. 
You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. The website is thethunderunderground.com. You can listen there as well. Wherever you're listening to this right now, hit like or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Got the episode, like I said, best of 2021 coming soon. I've also got an episode coming very soon celebrating the life of our friend Eric Bass. Jason will be returning back to the podcast to talk about I talked a little bit about this last week on the In Theory episode. I didn't go into much about Eric and the fact that he passed away because I'm saving that for for that episode. Eric's a longtime friend. Jason, of course, is going to come back for that episode, and I'm also going to bring in two other great friends of Eric, which are Josh Baker and Eric Reese. And Josh, Eric, and Jason, along with Eric Bass, made up the bands in Hipster. So I figured it was only fitting that all three of them would be here to celebrate the life of Eric. So that will be coming very early in 2022. And we've also got a few other great ones in the works. One of them I really want to talk about right now, but I do not do that because in the past I've mentioned things and then they fall through. I don't want to jinx it, so... Hopefully the next episode or two, I'll have a cool announcement for you. All right. Once again, I hope you have or had a great holiday season. A huge thank you once again to Adam Splitter PR, the Mighty Page Hamilton, DEB Concerts, Hella Hot Hot Sauce, Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.